I've been obsessing over indie artists for like the past uh one month. I don't know, man. Like there are a lot of songs, but then the songs by indie artists it just hit you differently for some reason. I feel like they are in that acknowledged. Uh, so I thought uh of you know especially considering the fact that my podcast is extremely random and I don't cover anything specific or like have like this specific um. I don't know script. I thought of sitting down with indie artists and you know jamming or just interviewing them. If you think you would hear that or you would like that, do let me know. That would be extremely useful for me. But yeah, that's just an idea. Keeping that aside, on today's interview, I on today's episode. Wow, this is like my third episode. I'm still 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 figuring out how to do this, but. But on today's episode, I interviewed Alters aside. They are from the US. On today's episode, I got a chance to interview the host Lydia. She and her Alters, as I mentioned before, live in the US. They have DID, otherwise known as Dissociative Identity Disorder. It is a mental health condition, uh, wherein your personality, the personality that you're born with, it um. Disassociate into multiple personalities, uh, because of some sort of childhood trauma. Uh, Lydia was very interesting to talk to, and she is also an author. She and her alters have written a book together. Um, honestly, it was very inspiring talking to someone, um, with the ID and um, yeah. Uh, just a small disclaimer. This is not uh as providing any sort of medical advice, but rather just giving, uh, you a perspective about how living with the ID feels. Uh, yeah. With that said, uh, if you do like this episode, do give me a feedback and also rate this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Bye. <laughs> Hi, uh, thank you so much, you know, for uh, joining me in today's episode. Uh, honestly, I feel like this is gonna be like an amazing conversation. At the same time, I feel like we can, you know, uh, create a little bit of awareness about DID. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Right. Uh, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and what you do? Um, I live in the United States, and I work. Um, I work at a plumbing company, and I also write. So I'm getting ready to publish my book in the beginning of September. Um, and I'm 36. Uh. And I have, most of the time I have four different personalities that are interactive with the public. Right. So um, what exactly is DID like according to you and how is it caused? Yeah. So uh, dissociative identity disorder is different for everybody who has it. Um, just like everybody's mind is different and they're the way that their mind copes and things like that. But for me, um, essentially, when I was really young, I had these conversations going on in my head. And sometimes uh, I would ask people about them and I was written off, you know, people, most adults were just like, oh, you just have a vivid imagination, you have imaginary friends. And then I kind of stopped hearing them for a while. And then when I was a teenager, um, early, early teens, maybe even as young as 11, they started coming back in full force. And sometimes in my middle teen years, I would have some of the personalities would come out and take over the body. And they would, I wouldn't be aware of that because the whole idea with DID, especially when you're in a situation where, you know, you're using it as a coping mechanism. Um, the whole idea of it is to try to hide certain things from yourself. So what your brain is doing is high level compartmentalization, but your brain figured out how to do this when you were really, really young. So it's not always perfect and it doesn't always make sense. 
Um, but my personalities would come out when I was a teenager and I didn't always have full blown amnesia. Sometimes I would, but I didn't really realize that that's what was happening. And then I tried to talk to a therapist about it and they told me that I was probably just trying to create adults um, since I didn't have a lot of adult figures in my life. And I didn't really get anywhere with that. And then I kind of got scared, so I pushed it all away. And then as I got older, um, I got into a really safe situation with my life. And after that, um, a couple of things happened. And then I started looking into actually doing trauma healing and um, kind of they put me on one of these tests that you do for dissociative disorders and I was originally diagnosed with OSDD, which is otherwise, um, and then, and then, you know, as time went on, I got a little more honest with my therapist and myself, um, and they gave me a full DID diagnosis. However, for me at this point, it's not really a disorder so much as it is a coping mechanism that has helped me deal with different traumas and as I have gotten more comfortable and honest with myself about DID, you know, it allows me to communicate really well with my other personalities and the, I refer to them as alters. There's a bunch of different, different names for them, but um, uh, as the communication between us has gotten stronger, it's become something that has helped me a lot in my life as opposed to being something that, you know, is referred to as a disorder. Right. And, you know, uh, and also I feel like DID is one of the most misdiagnosed mental uh, health conditions because in certain cases, uh, some people, uh, even health, uh, healthcare professionals, I feel like, you know, they just say that you have schizophrenia or it could be even borderline personality disorder. And that is why even though if you consider it as a, a, it has as a rare condition, I feel like it's just not diagnosed. So it's not that rare, right? Yeah. So, um, even diagnosed, it's still not that rare. It's about as common as like red hair or Whoa. yeah, or people who are diagnosed with bulimia. The statistics on those are the same percentage as DID. But um, there's a couple of issues with diagnosing for DID. And one of them is that it gets misdiagnosed as um, borderline Rarely does it get misdiagnosed as schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is usually something that you see outside of your body, whereas DID is always takes place inside your head. Um, but I feel like sometimes those two things are comorbid, which means they exist at the same time. However, uh, borderline personality disorder can look to people who aren't really going in depth. It can look the same as DID. So that is that's something that gets misdiagnosed. And then finally, I think part of the issue is like, which it depends on which personality is going to the therapist. And oh. if they are talking to the therapist about it, like when I switch during a conversation, I don't tell people it just happens. And then I'm, I am usually co-conscious enough so I can see what's going on and monitor the conversation. And most of the time I can kind of remember it. Sometimes it gets fuzzy, but I just don't tell people when I switch, unless it's really apparent. Like one of my alters has a pretty strong accent. If he comes out, everybody knows that I've switched, but, um, but nonetheless, like if I'm at a therapist's office and let's say alter A has depression, but the rest of us don't, if alter A never if alter A is the only one who talks to the therapist, I'm going to get diagnosed with depression, not DID, you know, oh, and wow. if he never mentions to the therapist, by the way, I have these other personalities, the therapist doesn't know, you have to go in and talk to them about that kind of stuff in order to, in order to get the tests that you need taken. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so when you, you know, when you're co-conscious, it does it mean that, you know, two personalities are taking control of your body or how does that work? Yeah. So co-conscious is like my favorite thing to be. Um, wow. It's, it's like if you're driving in a car and one of you is driving and one of you is in the passenger seat. Now, sometimes you can have, um, so you're both looking out the car window, right? Which means that you're both 
looking at what's going on. You can hear what's going on. Most of the driver is the one who is controlling the mouth, controlling the body, um, things like that. But the person who's co-conscious can see and experience everything and is usually talking to the driver also. So a lot of times with DID, at least in my experience, I have conversations going on in my head while I'm talking to people or while I'm alone. So when you're not co-conscious, uh, you, do, you do not know what the other alters are doing, right? Like, or even the person, the host of the body, you, you have no clue what's going on, right? When you're not co-conscious. Oh, yeah. If I'm not, co so if I just, yeah. So let's say Jax took over fully um, and I wasn't co-conscious, which I use him as an example because he's, He's one of the ones who can really do that and completely push me to the back. And Jax um, is one of your alters, right? Yeah, Jax is one of my alters. And if if something's going on where I get really severely triggered, um, or something really bad happens, or something happens that reminds me of something really bad, um, and I can't handle it, then he can... Sh it, so this is just how the terminology is. So he can just shove me out of the front and push me to the back. And when I'm in the back, I can't, I don't know what's going on with the body, but Jax does. Um, and then I, when I come back to the front, I don't have any memory of that. Right. This is why you said coping mechanism is a better word because like your brain has honestly, you know, found this amazing way to handle the trauma. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's, yeah, that's exactly why I say coping mechanism, because my brain has figured out how to take something with, that was like, okay, you actually can't deal with this. So we're going to put it in a box and put the box in the closet. <laughs> that is actually pretty, that's pretty amazing as to what a brain could do, right? Like, I, I mm. honestly, I feel like trauma, especially as a kid can affect anyone. And your brain has just made sure that you don't go through a lot of it. So when, when, when yeah. you, when, when you think about the, the brain being amazing, um, my DID really is pretty, I feel is pretty basic level, but there's a woman, there's a whole case study and you can look up, you can look this up in Germany. There was a woman who had, um, some really messed up stuff happened to her. So trauma, um, with laser beams being put in her eyes. It did not damage her actual eyes. However, she had um, personality splits because of this trauma happening at a young age over and over again. And her four, I think four of her personalities were blind and two oh. of them were not. And so they did a ton of studies on her brain and how, like, is she faking it? How is this possible? Why can't she see et cetera, et cetera. And what they found in the brain scans is that when these certain alters were fronting, even though her eyes could obtain, like her eyes could still see, the information from her eyes couldn't make it to the part of her brain that would explain what she was seeing. And therefore she became blind when those alters were fronting. So it's, it's really crazy, like not crazy, crazy, but it's really amazing to me that people, that some minds are able to do things at that level. Right. I did read somewhere something similar, like how one of the alters had a peanut allergy, whereas the rest did not. And that, that yeah. is very, yeah, that's very different and amazing. I feel. I do too. I think that kind right. of stuff is fascinating. Right. And when and how did you come to know that you have DID? Mm. So being 36, I, I first discovered the internet existed when I was 12 <laughs> years old. True. And I feel like that's really, really important because if I had had community the way that there is now, I probably would have figured out I had DID when I was 13 or 14 years old, but I didn't have that. I just had like, you know, adult, like people who I was around and a lot of the people I was around weren't necessarily safe um, to talk to about anything, much less like this, you know, this thing that was going on in my head. Um, also the, 
the therapists and stuff that I did talk to, I couldn't talk a lot. I couldn't talk very honestly with people um, because I didn't want to get my, my family in trouble. And so I knew that something was going on in as early as my teenage years. Um, before that, I believed what people told me, which is that it was imaginary friends. But I had imaginary friends and then I had alters and I could tell the difference, but I just, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't know. So as a teenager, I really started to understand that my mind was working differently than my friends because I would ask questions about like what people did when they were alone and like stuff like that. And then in my early 20s, um, I kind of started to look into it, but my, my mom was not in a healthy place. And so I had to take my younger sister um, when I was 24. And that kind of derailed everything that was going on in my life. And, and there was a bunch of stuff that happened from that because then you like just become a parent of a 10 year old when you're 24, you know? Yeah. And so I couldn't, I kind of like blocked everything out. And there's a, there are huge bouts of amnesia during the three years following that, that I just thought that I was really just not doing well. And so I couldn't remember things because my memory wasn't good anymore. Basically, I was just in denial. Um, I didn't really, so when I moved into a, like a really safe place, um, you know, I had a ton of stuff going on. I was living like a normal life. Um, and then somebody came into my house and um, OD'd in the bathroom. And it was the first time in my adult life that something with drugs had had a negative impact on me because I dealt with that a ton as a kid, but I didn't deal with it in my life. None of my friends do drugs, none of my boyfriends, et cetera, et cetera. So when this happened, I had a split and I couldn't deny that that's what was going on because at this point, like I'm an adult and I, I, everything was just very obvious. Nothing was hidden from me when this all happened. So um, after a couple months of trying to ignore it, I took one of the tests online and then I took like three more of them because I didn't like the results. <laughs> um, and, and then eventually I called a therapist who specialized in trauma disorders and I talked to her for a while and then my alters called her and talked to her for a while um, and then we went in to see her a couple of times and then I got diagnosed and then I spent a while trying to like avoid it. And then eventually I got with a therapist who was really, really good and started working with me on how to communicate with them. But a lot of help that I found in between all of that from the point where I had the final, like the big split as an adult until now um, the in-between stuff has been online communities that have helped me a ton. Right. Uh, I, you know, back then, I feel like the resources weren't enough. Like when you were a child, uh, if the resources were more, I feel like you would have some sort of an idea. Oh, yeah. It would make a huge... It, absolutely. Because I didn't understand that, like... Because now when I talk to people who have DID, they understand things that I'm talking about that other people don't like that you know and so it would have made a huge difference right so so like during the time you know when you were in that denial phase did your alters try communicating with you like telling you to you know go get it checked or yeah they would send me um they would write little notes in my journals um but I didn't know that was happening because I didn't go back and read my journal until way later on and then when I found the notes I kind of freaked out um, and then after I, you know, calmed down a little bit and was like, okay, this doesn't need to be weird. I, I started kind of exploring some of the notes and trying to figure out like what, what they were trying to talk to me about. And then, um, I started doing YouTube videos and that was really interesting because when I would record, I would go back and watch the recording to do the editing. And it was amazing to me to watch the switches happen and to watch the the communication because sometimes I didn't realize that I was having a, 
part of the conversation out loud as opposed to just in my head. Or I would see like, I know this sounds really small, but the way that Lexi moves her shoulders is is a way that I just would never move my body. So, so it was Lexi really is one of your other alters, right? Have, yes, Lexi's one of my yeah, other yeah. alters. Um, and to have that evidence and like just be able to see it just for myself and you know for my therapist was a huge thing um, that I I had never had before and I never would have had because why would I be recording myself for no reason, right? Exactly. And sometimes during the uh, recordings, they would leave me messages, but a lot of it was my notes. And the thing about Lexi specifically, I mean, not my notes, a lot of it was my journals. And the thing about Lexi specifically is that she writes in mirror image. So everything oh. she writes is backwards. Wow. That's actually well, pretty interesting. Yeah. So I told my mom about that and she said, yeah, actually when you were in second grade, sometimes your homework would get sent home and there would be notes from the teacher about how you were writing backwards. And she, um, she had copies of it from when I was really young, that that was happening already. And I didn't remember that at all. I had no idea that that had happened when I was in school. Right. This is why, you know, I hate it when someone says DID is not real because it is. And that is why you were able to see all those small differences, even though they are small, it made a huge difference for you. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and there's so much confusion about DID not being real. One of them is like, there's a really famous case of Sybil. Um, and apparently she came out years later and said it was all fake and people are like, see that proves it, but that doesn't prove anything because a lot of times the host really doesn't like it, it can be very scary and overwhelming to know that you, to think that you have like these different personalities taking over your body, especially if you have strong bouts of amnesia. Like I'm really lucky in that I don't have very much amnesia, but you know, there are some people who end up like at the airport and they don't remember what's going on. Like they don't know how they got there or where they're supposed to be going. The other thing is that, um, the media, you know, in the media, you see these, you see the characters that have DID and you have the common stuff that's really dumb where there's a murderer or like one alter is really evil or whatever. Right. And that's just, that's just not happening, but Oh, go ahead. No, like, honestly, I do agree with the media part because even Mr. Robot and a lot more TV shows and movies, I feel like they've just demonized DID. And this is the reason I feel like there's this huge negative stigma about DID. And I feel like if they just try to understand, you know, empathize with the person who lives with DID, they would do a much better job. And now talk to them before you write your character. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, would, that would be really helpful, I think. And there's some things like United States of Terra is a really good example of a, a show that showed DID for a while in a very interesting way. There was no system responsibility. So when you're talking to somebody who has DID, like I would refer to my, my, when I say my system, I mean, all of my alters, that's all of my personalities. That's what I mean. So if I say, I have system responsibility. It means if Jax does something that hurts your feelings, I'm willing to come and apologize to you, right? You like, as I'm, a host, right? Right. I'm the host. Yeah. Yeah. And so like there's system responsibility that doesn't get shown in that show. But the other problem is that most people who have DID have either have um, kind of a co-conscious situation or they have something that's sort of blurry. So if I'm talking to you and, okay, here's a perfect example. I'm, I went to Starbucks yesterday and I was like, I'm going to get Starbucks. That was my decision. And then Jax in Headspace was like, cool, let's get a dirty chai. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I mean, he didn't say cool. Cause he doesn't say cool, but he said, let's get a dirty chai. Right. And so I pull up, I think I'm ready to order. And then Lexi, essentially like burst into the front and starts talking to me about how she wanted a cinnamon latte. And oh so then Lexi and Jack start arguing and I'm, I'm sitting there in the car from the outside. It just looks like I don't know what I want. So I'm staring at the menu trying to wait until they're done arguing. And the guy is like, what do you want? And I was like, um, I, uh, um, and eventually Jack was like, just 
order your drink, Lexi. I don't care anymore. So I ordered her drink. So you have stuff like that that's really hard to show on a movie screen unless you, um, what was that movie? Did you ever see that movie where all the emotions are in the girl's head and you kind of like, as the oh, viewer. Uh, the, the the Disney movie, right? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, Upside Down maybe. Yeah, 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 I did. I, yeah, it's, it's called Upside Down, I guess. I remember, I remember this. That That is a very good way to show I mean that that movie is a good way to show all kinds of stuff but if you could do something like that on a tv show and show the whole conversation I just described with the coffee then you might get an idea of what it's like but if you're just showing somebody on the outside constantly switching at least for me that's just not how it goes at the same time talking to you and and sometimes they switch and then I'm one of them talking to whoever's in front right yeah can I tell you something so there's this movie in my country and you know uh, whenever one altar comes out for some reason he feels like he has a necessity to go save someone and he ends up killing uh you know all the villains I feel like this is the reason why people have a kind of like a bad impression about DID you know and and it's hard because there are aspects, especially when you're younger, if you're still in an abusive situation where you're a lot of times your brain will produce an altar that is here to protect you or save you. Um, and so He's you get protector. something. Yeah, you get something that looks kind of like Harry Potter or um, Iron Man or somebody who you as a, as a kid or a teenager are like, man, this if this person was in my life, they could save me, they could protect me. And so your brain is like, okay, I'll make that person for you and then you'll feel safe. And this is how we're going to cope with this situation, right? And so then uh, yeah. you as the host now have like Iron Man in your brain and what are you supposed to do with that? Right. <laughs> you you feel like you want to save someone, right? right. <laughs> like constant then, state of yes, yes. And so you have all these traits that like you don't really know how to handle. And if you have full switches with like complete amnesia walls, then you really have um weird situations that happen. It's not usually as drastic as what you just described. Um, especially with the killing, because a lot of times people with DID have been through so much trauma that they just want to feel safe. They don't want to. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's actually a valid point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's something that gets confused a lot. Um, you know, and there's this whole aspect to DID where some people have something called a persecutor. Um, at people a lot of times people think that like every system has all of these things and that's not true. Not every system has a persecutor, but some people do have them. And a lot of times the persecutor just is, is angry about what's happened and trying to in their own really dysfunctional way, help the system. Um, and they just need, they just need guidance. Like they just need therapy. Trauma therapy is the number one thing that I recommend for people with DID. And I know it's hard because when you go and you can't get a diagnosis, you don't get taken seriously. Like that's, I don't, it's, there's so much that's really difficult about the psychology side of it. Right. So um, now, since you mentioned about Jax, would you be comfortable talking about your altars? Would that be okay with you? Mm, yeah, definitely. So how many altars do you have? Um, technically I have, hang on. One, two, three. Technically, I have seven right now, but only four of them are like, only four of them really interact with uh, people in the real world. Right. And one is Jax, who's the protector. Yeah, Jax, who's the protector. And it's weird because I have Jax, who's the protector, but he's like a system protector. And then I have Lexi, who is sort of um, like a, she just, she doesn't want to protect the system so much as she just wants to protect me. So if somebody gets real, you know, mouthy with me or does something that makes, okay, for instance, my therapist. One time, this was, uh, this was actually before I even had admitted anything to myself. 
my therapist was talking to me about talk, communicating with my father and I hadn't communicated with him in a while and I didn't want to. And so Lexi took over and got into a full blown argument with her. Now in that moment, I had what's called a depersonalization where I saw that this was happening, but I didn't have any control of my body. So I was like, confused as to why I was arguing with her without uh, you, you got like a view of what was happening like you got a view of what was happening but then you were confused at the same time and I didn't realize at the time that what what was going on was I was being co-conscious but I didn't I did I was just so confused about the entire thing but I was also happy about it because um I really wanted her to stop talking to me. So Lexi took over because I was uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Uh, okay, it does. And like, how different are your alters? Do they have their own set of likes, dislikes? And how different are they? Yeah. Um, everybody's favorite color is green. And I think that's the only thing we all agree on. <laughs> that's um, good. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody's so different. Like, it, I... I've done um, I've done some of the fun things like taking the Myers Briggs and the and the Slytherin house or not Slytherin the Hogwarts house with them and stuff like that, um, which has produced different results. But yeah, oh, there's for each alter. Yeah. So um, wow. yeah, for each, yeah. So I have two Slytherins. I'm a Gryffindor, and then I have a Ravenclaw. Emma is a Ravenclaw. Wow. So you have like an entire family of Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> everybody except the Hufflepuff. <laughs> that's nice. At least you guys are agreeing on something together. That's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and like, okay, for the book, for writing. So Lexi does the majority of the writing and Jax gives like a ton of heavy input for the current book we're writing. Um, and then Emma and I kind of give like way less input and read it. And I, I handle some of the technical aspects like the website and you know some of our our social media sort of is everybody but then when later when I write um when we write this other book we're going to write Jax is going to be the main writer so writing can be very complicated to explain to other people because I'm sure it's not easy for people to understand what I mean when I say this person's writing but now this other person's writing etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. No, so, no, I do get it because I feel like everyone, they would have like their own style of writing too. And based on which I feel like your personality would come right. out. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody wants to write like very different types of things. Like really what Lexi, what Lexi wants to do is write something that's fun that people will like. And what Jack wants to do is write something that's really meaningful that, you know, will impact people in a completely different way. So wow. Yeah. And um, where do you think, you know, the, the names are from of your alters? I feel like Jax and Emma, Lexi, where, where do you think these names are from? Do you have any idea about it? Um, I know that, okay, so my original name that I was born with, um, Lexi started telling people that my name was Lily when I was about 16, because the name I was born with in certain situations would spin me into a trigger, especially when I was 16, because I hadn't gone through any therapy. And like, I was still, everything was just a mess. And so um, everybody in the system responds to Lily if they're fronting, because it's not really anybody's name, but everybody knows that it's, people are talking to us, right? And she right. did that on purpose because she wanted it to be, uh, she wanted me to be safer from hearing my birth name all the time. And she wanted to have something that was similar enough to her name. But when she was out, she would recognize it. I don't know where her actual name came from. Um, I also don't know where Emma's name came from. Emma showed up though when I was really young. I think the first traumatic memory I have when I is when I was around like three years old and I think she came shortly after that so I'm guessing I must have known a girl at that time so who was around Emma is one of your little right 
Yeah, Emma, and Emma's also, she's kind of like, all the rules don't apply to her. Like, she has access to the entire memory bank. She has access to memories that, like, she won't let anybody else see. And she, when something happens, if I um, emotionally dissociate, which is very common for me, so let's say, for instance, I was with my aunt and my uncle. When my uncle passed away, he'd been sick for a long time. And my aunt started crying and she was really upset. And she told me later, she was like, I didn't understand why you didn't react. Like you were just so calm. Well, that's because I emotionally dissociated from the situation. And what happens in my brain during that time is Emma comes up and just takes the emotion and holds it until I'm alone. And then sometimes will give it back to me to process. Um, Emma's pretty strong. She is. Yeah. And she, well, and she's been around for so long. So she's seen every change that's gone on and, you know, she's just aware of stuff that nobody else. And there's like one alter in my mind who is really super young that doesn't talk to anybody except for Emma. Um, And yeah, so she doesn't have um, any amnesia about anything because she has access to the entire memory bank. Wow. So who comes out the most generally? Mm, during quarantine, it's hard um, because <laughs> my, I don't, Jax like gets along with my husband, but they don't like, they have a personality class. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. So they don't really hang out a lot. Um, yeah. So he doesn't, it, I would use, before quarantine, I would have said that probably Lexi and Jax come out equally the most, but recently it's just been mostly if Lexi comes out, then sometimes Jax will be co-conscious or he'll just be co-conscious with me. Um, but yeah, I'd say Lexi and I are pretty even on how often we're out. And then Emma only comes out during certain times, like um, when we're around kids, sometimes that will draw her out, but not, she's never out all by herself because there's certain things she can't do. Like she can't, she doesn't know how to drive. Um, and if an, if somebody comes up and, and starts talking to me um, in social settings, it could be really uncomfortable for Emma to be around them. Like she gets really nervous. And also she hates, like she likes to be in control of certain things. So if there's any food eating, she doesn't really want to be a part of that. Um, there's just a lot of things that make her uncomfortable about being in the body. So I would say probably the most common person aside from myself is Lexi and then Jax after that. Right. And since you mentioned about Jax and how your husband don't personally, like, what do you say? Like, how are their relationships? Uh, I mean, like, do they interact well, all of your uh, personalities with the person you're in a relationship with or has the idea affected your dating and relationship in general yeah well prior to this it definitely affected my relationships more but that was because um, there wasn't a lot of communication in the system so I had um, a boyfriend and a girlfriend at the same time and that was really confusing and complicated um, and then Later, I had, uh, with, with my husband, I, we got together when I was like 28 or 29. Um, and so, you know, I think he just kind of at that time sort of felt like I was, uh, I had a dynamic personality, you know, like I just had a lot going on and he noticed some things, but he didn't really know fully what was going on or that, you know, if I would switch or whatever, he didn't really understand that that's what was happening. And I didn't totally understand what was happening either. And then, um, once I got the diagnosis, I talked to him about it and he was just kind of, he didn't respond right away. Like he, you know, he was like, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad that you got it. But we didn't really talk about it a lot. And then, um, and then one day I was cooking and 
I set the oven at 360 degrees in Fahrenheit instead of um, 350. And he came into the kitchen and he was like, <laughs> why do you do this? Like, why is this the thing that you do when you're supposed to set it for 350? And I just kind of shrugged and I was like, I don't know, because three plus six is nine. And he didn't say anything for a minute. And he just looked at me and then he was like, does Emma do the cooking? Is that what's going on right now? And I was so surprised that he guessed that correctly because it wasn't that she did the cooking, but whenever there's numbers, she's always involved because she likes to make things add up to numbers that she likes. Now he can recognize all your alters, right? Because it's been a while. He can sometimes not recognize the difference between me and Lexi. Um, but most of the time, he is really good at it. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's actually nice. And like, you know, uh, how different is your normal day uh, generally, you know, being with DID? How different is the normal day for you? I don't know exactly because I don't know what it's like to be without it, but I can tell you some of the differences I've discussed with other people are um, the communications that go on in my head. I know that that's a different thing for me and it kind of at a young age made it possible for me to focus on more than one thing at a time. Um, it's easier for me to do that, I think, because I, I'm already doing it. And then I would say, you know, technology kind of makes the idea a lot easier to deal with. Like if you I have something look up or, something or you can it, like, I always have my map going in my car, even if I'm going somewhere that I know where, how to get there, my map will, it's so that, you know, if I switch, I just am still following the map. So I'm not going to just forget where I'm going. I feel um, like you have a good coordination with your alters then instead of just fighting them. I feel like that works better. Yeah, right? yeah, no, absolutely. Once you get past the fear of of DID and realize like that they're just here to help you and and honestly like all of the personalities are really just a part of you. So sure, you're just true. getting to know yourself, right? That is why, you know, I feel like that is the reason why they do not call it multiple personality disorder anymore but rather dissociative identity disorder. Right. Yeah, yeah, because it's a it's a more accurate picture of what's going on. It's not really a completely different person. It's still part of you and you still have to respect it like that. True. That, that, that is actually true. And I do agree to that. Um, so uh, generally, you know, let's say you hypothetically speaking, you're filling some sort of a legal document or you're driving and like a cop pulls you over or something of that sort. Do you feel comfortable telling that person that you have DID or how does it like work? Oh, uh, definitely not a cop because um, I'm in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say the least amount possible. Yeah, because your ID would be different. And if Emma or someone's out and I feel like that would be a different case, right? And Emma can never drive, right? Emma's not allowed to drive. No, and there's no way Jack would totally do whatever he had to to make it so Emma was not talking to a cop. Like, there is no way she would ever be doing that. Um, <laughs> but if I, yeah, I think because I don't go by the name on my driver's license anyway, nobody does. You know, that name is the one that I was given at birth. And so I think that that part of it would be fine. When I fill out legal documents, I have to put it down. It, it, makes me uncomfortable not hugely it's just like a little bit of a slight annoyance when people call me my birth name um but if if you were talking to Lexi and you called her Lily she wouldn't care even Jax even though he's a guy he doesn't care if you use that name instead um I've told some people about DID like family and friends and then I put the YouTube stuff out and then once I get my, my book is going to be published under my alters aside name. So it'll be a bit more public, which I don't know. I'm just going to wait and see what happens with that, I guess. I don't know how people will react to it. Right. And, you know, like, when do you feel comfortable telling someone that you have DID? Um, well, before it was really hard because, like, when I told my family, these are people who've known me forever. And some of them were 
just like, oh, like I had one person in my family who was like, I don't really think that that's what's going on with you. <laughs> but then I um, had people who were really close to me who like one of my aunts was like, oh, no, I knew about this when you were a teenager. I just didn't ever tell you because I didn't know how to talk to you about it. And then she told me stories about different things that had happened when my personality would fully switch and I wouldn't remember it, which, you know, would have been nice to know at the time. But um, and that's yeah. just not forgetfulness. It's more than just forgetfulness and those amnesia blocks that happen. So. No, she talked about times where like I she would say something to me my entire personality would change and then later she would try to talk to me about it like that day ah. and I didn't know what she was talking about um so then I uh I now though if I meet somebody today it depends on the setting if I want to tell them or not it depends on if there's a reason you know like I don't talk about it a lot at church because I don't want to deal with whatever's going to come from that. Um, I do agree to that. <laughs> but I, you know, if it's a new friend or something, I might mention it to them early on. And I try not to make it a big, uh, I try not to make it like I'm saying something that's super, super important because I don't want it to get uncomfortable. And if they don't know what DID is, a lot of times they'll just kind of be like, okay, now, if they do know what it is, sometimes they'll start asking questions, which I'm fine answering. But if I was, I'm also like, I don't live with anybody abusive. Like my whole life is very safe. So I wouldn't recommend that for anybody who was in a situation where they were still in danger. Um, you know, then you have to be really careful who you talk to. Right, right. I do agree to that because I feel like especially when you're a child and you are in this extremely unsafe environment, even if you know that you have DID, I feel like you won't be comfortable telling anyone you're, you know, around that you have DID. One is because. Yeah. And also you're most of the time when you're a kid who's in a somewhat in a, in a um, traumatic environment, you don't really know what's reality and what's not anyway, because you're always trying to pretend that it's not happening. And so then when you have people talking to you in your head or alter switching out, you're really good at pretending that's not happening too. True. True. Because you're in this constant state of denial. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. Right. And also, you know, when you tell someone that you have DID, uh, what is like the normal reaction that they give? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I've kind of had them all. I feel like I've had people who I've had people who were close friends of mine who, you know, we were on a weekend retreat and, <laughs> and in the introduction where you go around the room and say your name and talk a little about about yourself, Lexi was like, bloody blah, blah, Lily. I live in Denver and I'm diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. And my two friends were just like, what are you talking about? Because I hadn't, they had no me. clue. They had oh my no God. clue about it. Yeah, and I was not ready to tell them <laughs> either. And so she just did this thing. And, and so then we said, like Lexi likes telling people about uh, your alters, right? <laughs> she does. Cause she wants to <laughs> hang out with them and like not have to pretend to be me. Ah, uh, that's true. That's she true. Wants to act like herself. And so, <laughs> so we spent the whole weekend talking about it. And, um, you know, they were really, one of them was really accepting. And the other one was just like, I don't, she asked me, did you lie to the therapist to get this diagnosis? Wow. And I was just, yeah. And so, you know, after though, after the whole weekend, I talked to her about different times and I was like, remember when this thing happened? And so it, it made it better because I was willing to discuss it with her instead of just being like, nope, I'm not interested in talking to you about this. I'm just going to walk away from this situation. Um, so because I was willing to really talk to her about it and, and go over some of the, the signs, she was more open. But up until that point, she'd only ever seen what they show in the media. So she was just like, I would know if you have this because I've spent enough time with you. And uh... you know, it just, it's not, like that all the time right that, that, that's true and sometimes as you said before you're just not comfortable telling someone that you have the idea yeah definitely and also it you know a lot of times different most of the alters can at least somewhat act like me if you didn't know me 
then you wouldn't have any idea that that was going on. Even Emma, Emma can act like you. Emma, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> you can act like, well, because there's certain things that she, like, Emma can't, and like, Emma never steps on a crack, right? And so there's certain things that if you were watching closely, you'd be like, this is not how you were yesterday, um, because I don't care about stepping on cracks. But so like with my kid, Orion, he, he notices the difference differences, but he's super young. He's like six years old. Right. So he just thinks that I change my name sometimes, not my name. I change my style sometimes, or that I change, um, or that I change my voice. And sometimes he'll ask for that. Um, you know, thing, things like that. And like, do you think Emma is pretty comfortable with Ryan? Oh, everybody's oh, everybody's comfortable with him. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, because I had already started working on system communication before we adopted. So it made it, made it easier because everybody kind of knew what was going on, um, including myself. Like, I knew about them. And so it made it a lot easier. Right. And also, um, what sort of reaction do you think people should normalize when someone, you know, just tells you about the ID or something? Um, well, I think when, if somebody tells you that they have the ID and you're friends with them already, like you've been friends with them for a while and they tell you, then I would say the best thing to do is just to ask them, you know, can I talk to you about it? How many alters have I met? Um, you know, is there anything you can tell me about it? That type of thing. Um, if it's somebody who you just met, they're most likely telling you because it's part of a story or part of what you're discussing. So I would just stick with the conversation. Um, to the hard thing is I don't like it when people just ignore it and I don't like it when people get too invasive. So I would say, don't just ignore it and pretend they didn't say anything, but don't ask them anything about their trauma or where it came from. And if they want to talk about that, they're probably going to, and honestly should only talk about that with a therapist because if you're not a therapist, you're not going to be able to help them deal with. And some of that stuff can be really, really hard to talk about in a public setting. And also, I feel like therapists, they listen better than just normal people. So I feel like sometimes you should talk about your trauma only to your therapist. Yeah, they listen better, but they also they're listening for very specific things. And I noticed like my therapist, when we watch the videos that I've recorded, because I show her stuff that I don't put on YouTube, she will point out specific like the way my eyes move and specific things like that that she's trained to look for when someone's dissociating and I'm not trained to look for that stuff so if I was talking to somebody who had alters even as somebody who lives with it I can only help so much you know the biggest thing for me I think that I can do when I'm talking to somebody who is a system is I can validate them by saying like well here's what I experienced and they probably have very similar experiences in their minds. And okay, so this is probably my favorite question. And I feel like this could be the most annoying question you've heard. What are some stereotypes? <laughs> what are some stereotypes you've heard about, <laughs> you know, DID? Oh, um, well, there's the stereotypes that really aren't true for me, like the full blown uh, switching with amnesia is very rare for me. It's not something I experience regularly anymore. Um, I think the, the angry, like dangerous alter is a stereotype that I really don't experience. Um, I think that being one stereotype that's interesting is like, I have a really good memory for very specific things. So you have the stereotype with DID that you don't have a good memory, but that's not entirely true. My memory is really, really good. If I'm fronting, if I'm not fronting, my memory gets super fuzzy, um, or is just not there at all. Um, another 
stereotype is that you can't make decisions, which is, <laughs> which is not true for like life. I can make decisions, but if somebody asks me what my favorite band is or my favorite Disney princess or, you know, those normal, like what's your favorite yeah. ice, like food, I I really have had a very hard time with questions like that. And I used to say that I just couldn't pick favorites until no, I, I feel like that's me also. Don't worry. Yeah. You know, I'm extremely <laughs> indecisive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's part of it is like some of this stuff is pretty normal for yeah. humans. And, you know, we attribute it to this disorder, but it's, that's not really what it is. Um, but some of it also is just that I like different alters in my system, like different things. And I didn't realize that until I realized that, you know, I had DID and that that's what was going on. Um, and then I don't, I don't know. And also I feel like what, there's this misconception that everyone with DID can never have a normal life. I feel like they can, yeah. they learn to live with it. I don't know what there's so many things there like what does one mean when they say normal life um if they mean have a job and like have a relationship that's completely untrue you can definitely have those things true exactly um, your amount of amnesia can affect how easy it is to have those things and and i think that um you have to be you have to really be aware of that. But most of the time, um, you know, with, especially like if you have a job, you have one or two alters who are really competent in the job and they're usually in the front. Um, and if you, if you have good system communication, you can usually pull that off pretty well. System communication takes a lot of work and, um, you know, you still are dealing with people who have, uh, have had trauma and some people have anxiety and things like that. So that's all, that's all separate from, um, it's not separate from DID, but it can be comorbid DID. I don't usually have anxiety, but Emma sometimes does, but Emma never goes to work because that would just be right. silly. That doesn't make sense for her. Right. Um, so yeah, I think you can definitely have a normal life or a, I would say not a normal life. I think you can have a fulfilling life. Um, and you just, I feel like you can mm -hmm. have a happy life too, right? Happy. Absolutely. You can have a happy exactly. life. That's the word I was looking for. As other people can, you know, it's not easy for anybody to have a happy life. They have to actually work at it. Exactly. And I feel like ha having a happy life or not is just like a human thing. It's, it's a human thing. And I think I'm lucky because I found from a young age ways to be happy about small things instead of only big things. Um, and that's really helped me out a lot throughout my life. Because if you're only happy when you're going to Disney World, then you're only happy like once every, you know, five years or however many you get to go. Like you just, you, if you're only happy when you're doing something like really, really exciting and big, then you can't be happy in your day to day. Yeah, this is why you need to uh, keep your job and happiness or goal and happiness separately and never mix it up together. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's a perspective thing. Now, I do have some times where, you know, my happiness is different than one of the other alters and that's been a challenge. True, but I feel like since you guys can communicate well, I feel like that, works out kind of yeah we're able to make it work for sure and and being older I think helps too because it gives it gives me perspective with my experiences and then too so True. like even though Emma's only 11 she's had over 20 years of experience that, that, that is very true I feel like experience teaches you everything mm -hmm. absolutely right and um, Okay, so at least the reason I wanted to record this with you today, at least, is because in India, there's this cultural aspect. Um, and this is the reason why DID is still a controversial topic in India. So if you go to the rural parts of India where they have no knowledge about science or medicine or anything of that sort, um, there's this aspect where 
you know, they just consider that as being possessed by like a demon or by a god. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so this sort of broaches on on topics that are, you know, totally controversial in a lot of ways. And possession is in demons and possession are in like every single culture in the world. Right. Exactly. And yeah. so I'm not dismissive of demons and possession and, but also dragons have been seen in almost every single culture in the world. And there are no dragons here that I have seen. So True. I think it's important to keep that stuff in perspective, but yeah. I'm also a religious person. So it's not like I don't believe in at all. I definitely believe and I think that with DID. No, no, I, I do think, agree. I feel like you need to differentiate what culture is and what DID is like when it comes to culture. I feel yeah. Like you, yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I've never met anybody who had DID who themselves thought that they were possessed, but I know that that has happened. Um, I've, I've read reports of that where people were like, they, that they were afraid that they were possessed. I would assume at some level that you would know that you were possessed and that, you know, that, that that's what was happening. But I, I find with DID because most of the time it's an altar who in some way is trying to protect the body or protect the host. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like it would make sense to me for it to be a possession. Um, you know, and I also feel that part of the really sad part is like, the ways that religious people deal with possession would never help someone who had DID. It would probably make it worse. It would probably be more traumatizing. And then, so if you're a, a priest or some kind of holy person and you go and you try to treat somebody for possession and it only makes them worse, you probably think, okay, well, the demons are stronger than me, you know, instead of realizing actually what they're dealing with isn't possession. And if you don't have a frame of reference for that, like you said, they're living in rural areas, they don't have as much science influence, the internet, et cetera, then you don't know that you're really making this worse. And the person who experiences the DID, for them, they're already scared. And so then to be told that it's possession would just be even scarier. That's very true, yeah. And it'll add up to their trauma, obviously. Yes, exactly. And even some of those um, techniques for ridding somebody of possession are traumatic. And so you're True. then you're just genuinely making it worse. No, I've seen people getting beaten up in the name of chasing the possessed god yes. or demon away. Right, right. Yeah. And so that's the stuff that's like, now you're just you're taking a problem, you're making it an even bigger problem, and you're not helping them in any way. You know, like right. trauma therapy is never fun to go through, but at the end of it, you do feel better. Exactly. And finally, like, what would you tell someone, you know, who's been diagnosed with DID, but is scared to open up or, you know, is scared to face it? Oh, um, I would say when you're first diagnosed, a big thing to to do is like try to journal try to have different spaces for your altars to communicate with you so if you if you only have paper and pen then give them sections of the journal that they are like specifically supposed to write in and then make sure you read them later because <clears throat> that can give you some insight on them there are also apps on your phone that you can use to talk between one another or record messages to each other um from your phone and then you know there are so many communities online you have to be careful not to get sucked into something like the important aspects of DID is not figuring out which house at Hogwarts your altar belongs to that's something that you can do for fun but it's not what's really important is trying to heal and trying to build communication bridges so that you can function and live happily together in one mind. Um, so those, you know, there's a lot of um, stuff on Tumblr and there's a lot of stuff on Twitter and there's a lot of stuff on even Instagram 
And, um, but Reddit, Reddit, Tumblr, and Twitter are probably the most prevalent. So I would check some of those out and you can just look up dissociative identity disorder. And then finally, I would say, um, don't get caught up in any of the drama. Just remember like this is your brain is trying to help you cope with something and that's right. really what end of the day your brain is trying to save you and that's the reason it disassociated it right absolutely yeah your brain yeah every this this whole thing is just to help you it's none of it is exactly supposed to be a negative exactly and yeah oh, yeah and one more thing you said you were writing a book right so when when are you releasing it and where can we find it oh <clears throat> so I'm writing a book. Um, I'm going to be releasing it's a serial novel. So it'll be released five chapters at a time throughout the month of September. Um, and then, you know, once it's fully released, I'll release it all as one collection. And it's going to be on Amazon. It's called Mercury Rising. And it's my author name is Alters Aside. And that's also how you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. And then uh, my website is altersaside.com. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun talking to you. And at the same yeah, time, I feel no, like, I and I feel like now I know a little more about DID and I'm going to try learning more about it also. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me on. And if you ever want to do another conversation or you have more questions, just contact me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck with your book. I cannot wait to read it. I'll definitely give it a try. I feel like uh, you've written more about your altars there, right? Um, it's not specifically about my altars, but that will be coming eventually. Like once once that part is done, I'm going to be blogging about different altars, though, and stuff like that on my website for free. Um, but the fantasy stories are really just something that I did for fun amazing like uh, i cannot wait to read it i'll definitely get back to you after i read it <laughs> all right thank you so much i really appreciate talking to you thank and i'll you. talk to you again soon